I love coming back to Grace Community Church, and I love reflecting on uh, the things that God did years ago when uh, I believe it was 10 families, Jim, that uh, had gathered together and felt God would have them to uh, seek to establish a new congregation in this community. And I, I was privileged uh, early on to be introduced to that group of folks, and I began to come over from Raleigh. I was working in Raleigh at the time in a Christian ministry, and I came a couple of times a week. And uh, one of those was an evening when we met as a group of uh, folks that would give leadership to this congregation and began the, uh, the process of trying to come up with a, uh, some bylaws and a constitution to organize the church. Now, the uh, thing about that was there were several law professors in that group. And if you've ever tried to come up with documents when you have lawyers uh, working with you, we, we wordsmith that thing for two years. And, uh, and finally, uh, got it in a place where uh, folks, I think, felt relatively comfortable. Interestingly enough, what you just heard earlier in terms of what that Constitution permits uh, in terms of perspective on baptism, that is an incredibly unique uh, perspective that a local congregation would respect both believers' baptism and would respect covenant baptism. And that's one of the things that we, uh, we worked through <laughs> long into the night. <laughs> for, for a bunch of nights, we also had a retired Baptist pastor and a, uh, a number of other folks that met with us. But God gave wisdom, and uh, that wisdom was expressed even here this morning as, uh, as that perspective on baptism was articulated. And that is, uh, I, don't, I don't know of any other place in the country that I'm aware of that has that kind of openness to, to the variety of perspectives on baptism that are present in the Christian church. So uh, that was something God uh, gave as a gift, I think, to this congregation uh, through that process. This morning I want to, uh, to have us think for a few minutes uh, about um, blessing. That's something we all want. I assume that like me, you would be desirous of being the recipient of God's blessing. And I want us to, uh, to think about that this morning. And I was, I was framing this discussion uh, based on just the whole uh, perspective of New Year's resolutions. Uh, we love a blank page. We love a clean sheet. We love a new beginning, a new leaf. Um, you know, whether it's, uh, I remember in college, uh, when I was at the University of Georgia, every semester started out, and I didn't have a paper that I'd made less than an A on. I didn't have uh, anything that was past due. Now, that only maintained itself for just a couple of days, and then <laughs> kind of went downhill from there. But I was at the Harvard of the South. You, you understand that, <laughs> the University of Georgia. So, uh, uh but that, that, that sense of a fresh, clean opportunity to sort of begin again, whether it's a move to a new city or a new home, a new job, get married, uh, become empty nesters, retire, uh, all kinds of experiences in life uh, give us that sense of, of a new start. Now, it's a little dangerous 
to, to bring that up now since we're a few years into January of 2015. And I know personally a couple of my own resolves have, uh, have crashed <laughs> in, in the however many days we've been in 2015. Uh, but we, we like resolutions. Um, if you want to think about resolutions, Samuel Johnson is the man to study. He is, uh, was, of course, a great uh, literary figure in England. Someone has uh, said he's arguably the most distinguished man of letters in English history. Um, he was a poet, uh, moralist, literary critic, on and on and on. In 1764, Samuel Johnson said, I have now spent 55 years in resolving having from the earliest time almost that I can remember been forming plans for a better life. I have done nothing. The need of doing, therefore, is pressing since the time of doing is short. O oh God, grant me the resolve aright and keep my resolu- to keep my resolutions for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. That was a prayer. And if you study, uh, if you study Samuel Johnson... Uh, I love this guy. 1764, he said, and these are some excerpts from, from his diary. Oh God, to amend my life, my purposes from this time to avoid idleness, to rise early, to read the scriptures. A couple of months later, he wrote, I have now spent 55 years in resolving. Oh God, grant me to resolve aright. To keep my resolutions, I resolve to rise early, no later than six if I can, a little later that year. I propose to rise at eight, (laughs) because though I shall not arise early, it will be much earlier than I now arise, for I often lie till two. 1775, 10 years later, when I look back upon resolutions for for improvement, which have year after year been made and broken, why do I try to resolve again? I try because reformation is necessary. I try in hope of help from God. And then a little later he wrote, when I look back upon resolution for improvement and amendment, which have year after year been made and broken, why do I yet resolve again? I try because reformation is necessary and despair is criminal. So Samuel Johnson uh, was a man who uh, struggled (laughs) with resolutions. And I I love this guy particularly because it it focused on getting up in the morning. And that's, uh, I come from a a long line of hibernators and... uh, (laughs) I'm not a morning person, and that's, a, that's an extreme challenge for me, so I, I really resonate with Samuel Johnson on that regard. Of course, there's always the opportunity to, uh, to adopt resolutions that are, are guaranteed to actually probably, actually and probably are not, not the same thing, resolutions that, uh, that you can really accomplish. Uh, I, I ran into a list of those recently. Number one, gain weight. At least 30 pounds. Number two, stop exercising. It's a waste of time. <laughs> Procrastinate more. Starting tomorrow. We're, we're going <laughs> to do that. 
Get in a whole new rut. There's, there's a good resolution. <laughs> Find a new rut to get in. I love this one. Spend your summer vacation in cyberspace. There's, there's a good resolution. You don't have to go anywhere to do it. Uh, create loose ends. Wait for opportunity to knock. Well, there are all kinds of, <laughs> of resolutions that, uh, that are easily attainable. And, uh, and yet, uh, I want us to think about the fact that God has a resolution for you. God has a resolution for uh, this church. For 2015, and that resolution is to bless you. God has resolved, and when he resolves, uh, there's no failure in that resolution. One of my favorite theologians is Archie Bunker. (coughs) Archie Bunker said, God don't make no mistakes. That's how he got to be God. Well, that theology is a little suspect, (laughs) but God doesn't make mistakes. And when he resolves because of who he is, he can carry out those resolutions. And so just uh, to be aware that God has a resolution for you and for this congregation and its blessing. And this isn't a uh, prosperity gospel message. This isn't, you know, health and wealth kind of stuff. But it is a, uh, an expression of God's heart and of his nature. God's resolution is to bless you. There's a passage there on the screen that I found fascinating as I, as I resolved to start reading through the Bible again this year. Genesis 1. <laughs> so I've actually done that. I, I checked that one off a couple of days ago. But in the process of reading those early chapters of Genesis again, I ran into this these verses out of chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. And then in verse 28, the very next verse, it said God blessed them. The first thing God did after he created Adam and Eve was bless them. That's his heart. He can't do otherwise. It's his nature to want to to introduce into your life and mine, into the life of this congregation, uh, things that are a great blessing. You can read in those first two chapters in Genesis and, and identify the details of that particular blessing that he brought into the experience of Adam and Eve. There's a passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 that uh, even more dramatically, I think for us, underscore that heart of God to to give you good gifts. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, you're probably very familiar with this passage. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in his sight. In verse 4, there's a little word there. It's the word kathos, the Greek word kathos. It means just as or even as. And if you let this this, uh, passage 
sink in, you'll begin to realize that uh, God made a choice to, uh, to choose you to become his son or his daughter. He chose to, uh, to in, the, in the vocabulary of the New Testament, adopt you into his family. He wrote you into his will. You're a co-heir with Jesus. But notice what this passage is saying, that he chose you and he chose to bless you. And the time frame of that uh, choice on God's part was in eternity past. What that says to me is that uh, being the recipient of God's blessing is no more dependent upon my deserving it or meriting it or uh, qualifying for it than his choice of me to experience the salvation that he would bring into my experience through Christ. I mean, it seems to me, and the Greek of the grammar of this particular passage bears this out, that uh, at the same time that he chose me and, and drew me uh, decided to draw me into his family as one of his sons, and you as a son or a daughter, at that same time, before our, any of us were ever on the planet, God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless that person. That is amazing to me, that that would all transpire and uh, be a done deal before I ever experienced human life. It's an expression, an expression of God's heart. And God's purpose was that I should be holy and blameless in his sight. And my experience of pursuing holiness and seeking to be blameless in God's sight is I try and, and determine to live and be anything that would cause God to love you more that would move his heart to want to provide for you and protect you and give you his, his good gifts. And yet we, we come into a relationship with Christ and then we exit that experience feeling like now I, I've got to get my act together and I've got to be good enough and uh, obedient enough and faithful enough so that God will will bring blessing into my life. But that's not what the scriptures teach. Now for the caveat. Uh, God's blessings come to us at times packaged in ways we do not find desirable, loving, or even understandable. In life, uh, there's suffering. There's pain. Uh, in life, there's hardship. And when those uh, packages come, like the little label says, we want to just uh, write on that label, return to sender. Rather not have that. Rather not lose that job. Rather not get that diagnosis. Rather not have that relational uh, trauma. All kinds of things come into our experience in life, and uh, we just love to put uh, return to sender. <laughs> like to send that package back. That's not one that I that I welcome, 
uh, enthusiastically. And yet the, uh, the realization is that, that all of those things are expressions of God's gifts. That's the hardest thing in life to, to get, to understand, is how could a, a, a diagnosis or an, an experience in my life that's painful or discouraging or uh, that's a hardship, how can that be a gift from God? But it is, because his heart is to give nothing but that which is good for us as his children. And that, that even includes stuff that, come, that comes into my life and your life because we've made poor decisions or sinful decisions or rebellious decisions. That doesn't preempt God's heart to bless I'm thankful that Romans 8.28 is in the Bible. That God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God can even take those things that come into my life and yours that are a result of decisions and choices and attitudes and behaviors that dishonor him and displease him and that... that uh, contaminate us and that sabotage our relational our relationships he can take any and all of that stuff and because he's God he can he can turn that into something that is beneficial and good glorifying to him and beneficial for you and for me uh, that's what Paul or the writer of Hebrews describes in Hebrews chapter 12 when he says the Lord disciplines the one he loves. When discipline comes in whatever form, suffering or pain or discouragement or hardship, it comes from the, the heart of a God who loves us. It comes from the providential and sovereign hands of a God who is, uh, is unequaled and unchallenged in the universe. It comes through... Uh, through him, God is dealing with you as sons or daughters. He does it for our benefit so we can share his holiness. And so the, the heart of God is, is to bring blessing into your life. To bring blessing into the life of this church in 2015. And the primary source of that blessing is the gospel. The gospel. The gospel changes everything. And as you think about the gospel, there are uh, two dimensions to the gospel. And one of those dimensions is that you are more flawed. You are more depraved, to use good old biblical theological language. You're more flawed than you could ever imagine. None of us are in touch with how deeply uh, distanced we are from a holy God. You might say, Ricky, that's kind of bad news. That's a bummer. <laughs> I'm a whole lot worse than I thought I was. But you are. But that's only half the gospel. And the sad thing is that most of us live in that, in that first dimension. We become preoccupied and 
focused on ourselves. We become hyper-focused on that we aren't what we should be, that we fail, that we disobey, that we rebel. And so we can resonate with anyone who, who might express the fact that we are more depraved and, and ruined than we could ever possibly imagine. But you're more loved, you're more desired, you're more valued than you could ever possibly hope to be. God prizes and values and loves and desires you because you're his son or his daughter. And that, uh, that dimension of the gospel is really the path uh, to experiencing God's blessing um, as we are increasingly captivated by, by his love for us. If, if we focus on the gospel declarations, what we should be and should not be, what we should do and not do, if we focus there, we stay paralyzed in a sense of failure, in a sense of, of not being all that God would have us to be. And in that uh, arena, there is, there's no catalyst to really being transformed. There's no motivation to grow. There's no power to change. When I simply believe half the gospel and camp there and allow the ramifications of my deep depravity to be constantly coming at me and discouraging me and prompting me to, to wonder whether God could ever love me, whether he could ever do for me what he says he has a heart to do for me, which is to bring blessing into my life. The power of the gospel to bless is when we are captivated by God's love, by his, his desire for us, by the fact that, uh, that he longs uh, to be a, a father who gives you good gifts. And the greatest gift he's given us is in the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. <clears throat> we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. <clears throat> this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. What changes me? What changes you? It is gazing upon um, the glorious and beautiful heart that God has for me. A focus on my, my sin, my rebellion, my disobedience, my failure. I'm immobilized by that. It's, uh, it's being enamored with, with his love that moves me to want to uh, pursue him and to be the recipient of his heart to pursue me with his blessing and good gifts. Uh, John Donne, the uh, English poet, lived in, uh, from 1572 to 1631. Um, he's the one that has probably the most famous lines in English literature. Uh, Don't ask for whom the bells toll. They toll for you. 
Uh, he was in a bed thinking he was dying of the plague which was sweeping through London at the time. And he, as he lay there in his bed for uh, six weeks, he kept hearing church bells that would chime every time there was another funeral. And he sat there and he wrote this, uh, this uh, reflection on church bells. And that's when he, when he said, no man is an island. And went on to say, don't ask about who that bell is tolling for. It tolls for you. Reflect on your own life. He was a man who grew up uh, very in a very um, dishonoring lifestyle. Uh, later in life, he <clears throat> came to know Christ and became a pastor, an Anglican pastor in London. But I love this quote. He said, batter my heart, three-personed God. Take me to you, imprison me, for I accept you, enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chased, except you ravish me. Dunn understood that the the only thing that would move him to uh, to pursue a God who he knew loved him was if that God ravished his heart with the the radical nature of that love and desire that God had for him. He understood that when when he got in touch with with God's heart for him, it, it would move him to live in ways that were free and pure and God-honoring. So uh, as we as we think about this thesis this morning, God has a, has, has a resolution. He has resolved. And he did this before you ever showed up on the planet. He said, I want to I choose that person. And we know that his choice of us wasn't dependent upon the fact that he was omniscient. He could look down the halls of time. He could say, oh, yeah, Ricky Mill, freshman year, University of Georgia, he's going to become a Christian, so I'm going to pick him. God didn't use his foreknowledge as the basis upon which he chose you. Ephesians 1 says he chose you because he loves you. <laughs> he just wanted to. We wish we had a better understanding of that. Our little minds grapple to try to figure that out. But at the end of the day, the answer is God chose you because he wanted to. Not because of anything that was true of you. And at the same time, he said... I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna resolve to pour out my blessing in that person's life, and that blessing is is no more merited than that choice was merited. Thomas Chalmers is a Puritan pastor. Um, he has a sermon. You can go online. Uh, you can download this sermon, and I would en- encourage you to do so. It, it's an incredible sermon. It's called The Explosive Power of a New Affection. Listen to what Chalmers says. He says, Misplaced affections need to be replaced by the far greater power of the affection of the gospel. The only way to uh, dispossess the heart of an old affection is through the explosive power 
of a new one. It is then that the heart brought under the mastery of one great predominant and supreme affection is delivered from the tyranny of all its former desires and the only way that deliverance is possible. The explosive power of a new affection. That's what changes us. That's what transforms us. Not hyper-preoccupation with our sin. And I'm not saying that that's not necessary. That's part of the gospel. But the part of the gospel that frees you is the part of the gospel where you realize that I love him because he first loved me. I respond to his love. Well, apps for life. A friend of mine used this. I thought it was brilliant. Apps for life. (laughs) Um, God has chosen you, and he's chosen to bless you, independent of any thing about you that would commend you to him, that would uh, suggest that you deserve that or have merited that. And my encouragement for you and my encouragement for myself for 2015, my encouragement for this church <clears throat> is that, uh, that we position ourselves to be the recipient of God's blessing. And I love the heart of David. And this is what I'm asking the Lord for myself, that I would have David's heart. He said in Psalm 24, 7, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Now, that does not mean that you have to bring your pillow and a toothbrush and live here at Grace Community Church. <laughs> to seek him in his temple is, is not that uh, you have to move in here and live the rest of your life right in this building. Uh, but David's heart was to prioritize and to pursue, uh, to desire to be in a place where he was gazing on the beauty of the Lord. And the beauty of the Lord is captured in the gospel, particularly in the gospel that uh, reminds you and, uh, and draws you to be captivated by the fact that you are the object of God's love and affection. And that you are by, by no qualification of your own. That you are by the heart of a God who chose you and chose to bless you. And so this morning, I just mainly want to encourage you to find ways to be captivated by God's heart for you. Uh, This church does that corporately as it gathers to worship, as it gathers to celebrate the Lord's Supper, as it gathers to celebrate what God has done in the lives of folks as they seek baptism. As, as you gather in other contexts just simply to, uh, <clears throat> to experience that, uh, that community of uh, those that, that know Christ. Those are times to, uh, to deepen and be captured more thoroughly by God's love for you. But I would encourage you in your own personal life to do everything you can to, 
read the scriptures. I think primarily the gospels are where God, uh, where God's glory through the person of Christ is most preeminently uh, reflected. Not that any of the scriptures are less important. All scripture is inspired by God. But the gospels are the biographical source books um, to see the person of Christ. But I would encourage you to, to read scripture and to read books that remind you and deepen your appreciation and your understanding uh, for how very much God loves you. Because he really does. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we come before you and we thank you for this opportunity just to be together with other men and women and boys and girls who, like us, have understood the gospel. We've understood, Father, that uh, none of our works, none of our performance commends us to a holy God. It's by grace, your mercy, your favor is gracious and unmerited. And Father, may we live day by day as Christians, allowing you to more deeply capture our hearts. May you ravish us in the words of John Donne. Three-person God, would you ravish us with your love that having experienced that in deeper and deeper ways, we find ourselves in, in more consistent ways, loving you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the history that is here, for the years, Father, of faithfulness, for those that are new and, and fresh in this community of believers. And I pray, Father, that 2015 would be a great year for this congregation and for the individuals in it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will, please stand for the benediction. Over the last several weeks, um, we at Grace have experienced a lot of sorrow and heartache uh, with the loss of our sister Cindy Newton, uh, with Joan Cotton, uh, Allison's mother in Australia, um, our sister Elise Finnerty. Um, And it's amazing how I continue to learn and how I've heard um, Brad say over and over again that death precedes life. That's an incredible concept that we just oftentimes don't see every day, but it is certainly um, built into nature, and it's built into our spiritual life. Um, We experienced it today um, through baptism. First Peter reminds us, or Peter reminds us of that in um, his letter, First Peter. Um, I'll read three through nine. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, and we have, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious 
than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found in the result of praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Go and live in that hope this week. Have a great week. God bless you.